And so here we are, week four, a series that we're calling Lead. And uh, over the past several weeks, we've been kind of pulling leadership nuggets and principles out of the Bible, which I think is the greatest book ever written on leadership. And we've looked at leadership from many different perspectives. And I think overall, the, the big point that we've taken away is that leadership, if we can define it in one sentence, is, is leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. It has nothing to do with a title or a position or a role. And the hardest person to lead is me. It's, you know, the hardest person to lead is myself and, 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 and getting to, to influence myself and the decisions and, and to make the right choices. And, and, and when I can get that down, it's like the other, other layers of, in, of influence seem to, to fall into place. And I, I wanted to, um, you know, get ready for this message and uh, this series. I think it would be doing it a disservice if we didn't talk about leadership when it really matters the most. And I think when it, when it comes to leading our lives or leading anything, it's easy to lead when, when, when things are going really good, right? Like even, even in our own personal lives, it's, it's really easy to make decisions when you have resources and you have people and, and the plan is working accordingly and you really know, okay, the, the next steps are really clear. It's, it's just a lot easier to lead when life is that way. Unfortunately, <laughs> unless you're like 10 years old, you've got really good parents, you have probably hit a time in your life where you didn't know what the next step was, and you didn't have a plan, and, and, and I want to call it uncertainty, where you really don't know what to do or what the next step is to do. And what's cool about, I think, the Bible, but specifically the, the chapter we're going to read today in the book of Psalms is the book of Psalms is special for a lot of reasons. It's more than just words. These were songs. And these were songs that David and other people, uh, other authors had, had wrote while they were going through seasons of their life. And so a guy a whole lot smarter than me found a pattern in the book of Psalms. There's 150 psalms. Again, think, think music. These were, these were sang. These were um, psalms that they sang, psalms of ascent, were psalms that they sang going to church. So I don't know if you were listening to worship on your way to church, but that would be what they would sing heading to church. And then they had psalms of thanksgiving. And, uh, but this guy, his name's Walter Brueggemann, and he wrote a book, and he kind of gave a synopsis on the book of Psalms, and it's a tiny little book. That's why I like it. Uh, and it, it's called The Spirituality of the Psalms, and he found a pattern in the book of Psalms. All 150 fall into three categories. I didn't put these in your notes. If you want to write them down, you can. But this has really helped me. And I've talked about it before, but I felt like we needed to talk about it again. And, and the first group is Psalms of Order. That's when life is going the way that you want it to go. Things, things are just falling into place. Everybody wants to be your friend. You got the promotion. You landed the job. You know, you, 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 you applied. And, and th you know, everything is, is in order. And these are Psalms. These are easy to recognize because they start with praise. You know, the writer just starts thanking God for the order in his life, the clarity in his life. That's the first one. <laughs> the, the second group of psalms, he calls psalms of disorientation. I'm going to just call them psalms of chaos. That's Psalm 22. That's Psalm 61, our text this morning. That's, that's when the writer is in a season of chaos and he has no idea what's happening. 
that, you know, that he didn't get the job. The people he thought were going to be there left. It's just chaotic. Chaos basically means disorder, dysfunction, you know. And the thing about chaos, unfortunately, is, is, is if we live very long, we're going to get doses of chaos in our life. Where we thought that life was going to happen orderly in, in a certain way, and then we find ourselves in a, in a season of, of, dis, of disorientation. That's like, I don't, know, I don't know where to go. I have no pre-knowledge of where I am right now. This is new territory. So that's the second bucket. And then the third category, he, he calls Psalms of reorientation, or we'll just call new order. New order. And so you've got these three buckets. Every psalm, 150 of them, they all fall in those three buckets. Some psalms have all three in them. You ever read a, a psalm and it started like really, really good, and then it got really, really bad, and then it got good again all of a sudden, right? And, and what's cool about the, the, these psalms is I haven't found one that ends in chaos. You may have some chaos in the middle. You may have some chaos in the beginning, but, but the writer always comes back to some kind of clarity at the end. And, and I like these three categories because they've helped me navigate my own life. Because sometimes we come to church and we sing songs of order and we sing so, you know, songs of reorientation, but my life is kind of a mess right now. And I don't feel real happy. And I'm not really stoked on the blessed assurance right now because I don't have a lot of blessed assurance right now. And some of the greatest songs, believe it or not, were written in chaos. Think of Horatio Spafford who, who wrote, It Is Well With My Soul, the song that we just sang. You would never know that he wrote that song crossing the Atlantic Ocean over where his family had just lost their lives, all of his children. And his wife was waiting on the other side for him. And while they got over the Atlantic Ocean where the boat went down that had his family on it, his wife survived, his kids did not, he pulled out a pen and wrote, it is well with my soul. You would never know that from the song. But it was in, an or it was in a season of chaos, oftentimes is when we do our best leading. It's, it's in the toughest moments of our life where God brings out the treasure inside of us. It's the Garden of Gethsemane, right? It was an olive orchard. It's, it's, it's when Jesus was, was, was wrestling with this chaotic moment in his life that, that, that God used him to do some of the greatest work that he would ever do. And so leadership is, is the exact same way. Like when, we, when it comes to leading our life and, and, and walking through seasons, I thought I would be doing all the injustice if we didn't talk about how to make decisions when we're in seasons of disorientation. And, now, and it doesn't have to be the world is falling, right? The sky is falling. I mean, this could just be, I'm a pretty orderly person. I have drop zones in my house. And what I mean by that is I come home and my keys go in the same place. My shirt goes in the same place. My shoes go in the same place. My wallet goes in the same place. And if I go to find those things that are not there, I'm in a season of disorientation, <laughs> I'm blaming my son, my dog, my wife. Like, listen, y'all, I put my keys in the same place. This is my drop zone for my keys. This is the drop zone for my wallet. Like, like I, I just, I don't know. That's just the way that I, I'll forget, you know, if my, if my head wasn't attached to my shoulders, I would lose it. And so I, I have to have order. Well, unfortunately, life does not give us that luxury. 
As much as we want to plan and say, okay, this is, this is kind of how I see my life going, chaos like, a, like an afternoon thunderstorm, unpredictable, just shows up out of nowhere. I don't even know how they form, but they just, they just, they're just there, and you've got to deal with it. We've got to navigate through it. And when you're in a season of disorientation, it's no longer about getting to the destination. It's just about getting through this season. And I want you to hear that. That when, you're, when you hit a, a season of, of chaos and things are just rocking, it's no longer about trying to get to that destination. It, it now becomes, let's keep everybody on board safe. Let's navigate this storm. Let's, let's get through this season. And so before I, I read this psalm, I want to give the context for Psalm 61. That's, that's our assignment this morning, just a few verses. And you can't appreciate the psalm without knowing what's going on in David's life. And what I love about this psalm is not only do we get, to, we get to feel and hear what David is experiencing, but we know what's going on in his life. It's very rare that we, we get, that we get this, this, it's more than literature, that we get God's word, these beautiful songs, but we can do some digging and find out what was going on, what was going on in the life of David when he wrote Psalm 61. Well, I believe 2 Samuel, there's five chapters in 2 Samuel, chapters like 13 through 18, that give us the context of what was happening in David's life in Psalm 61. Just, I'm going to give you the brief version. We're not going to read it all. We don't have the time. But imagine that within your family, there was some incest that happened between siblings. That happened to King David. One of the brothers got so angry that his other brother violated his sister, he kills him. Y'all with me? David gets mad at his son Absalom who killed the other brother and said, and banishes him from the home, not even from his home, banishes him from all of Israel. Says, you can't live here anymore. You killed your brother. You got to go. So years, Absalom and his dad, King David, are not speaking. He's exiled. Somebody convinces David to let Absalom come back home. And so David says, sure, he can come back home, but I don't want to see his face. He ain't welcome in this house. So Absalom comes back, and anger just starts to brew in his heart. You know, I mean, he was just trying to defend his sister's honor, Tamar. And he, he took out his brother. He was angry. He was mad for what his brother did. Well, his dad obviously didn't forgive him. And so Absalom is sitting just kind of... They're not speaking, him and his dad. Well, Absalom decides that he can probably do dad's job better than him. And so he starts, because dad won't talk to him, he just goes to the front of the temple and starts telling everybody that, hey, King David, he's busy. He's got all these problems. He ain't got time for you. Let me hear what's going on in your life. And so Absalom, it says, the Bible says that he was a very attractive person. And there was nothing, he was perfect had this long flowing hair, like the Bible describes him as a, as a very attractive person. And so he sits at the front of the temple and wins over all of Israel, right underneath his dad. Before he knows it, the, the army is following Absalom. The cabinet, David's cabinet is following Absalom. All of, Absalom, or all of David's counsel and the men and women that he's trusted to build this kingdom. Now, this is not just any kingdom, y'all. This is the most powerful nation on the planet at the time. And all of a sudden, Absalom pulls a coup, takes the army, takes all the leadership of Israel, and chases his dad out of town. 
So now David is on the run. The leader of the largest nation on the planet at the time is running from his son, Absalom, who's out to kill him. Let me make a point right here. God doesn't use perfect people. God doesn't use perfect families. God doesn't use perfect leaders or perfect churches because they do not exist. Here's a man that wrote an entire, I mean, a massive book of the Bible. And this is one story, y'all. This is just one story. I could give you other stories about David that would make you think, and I say this and think this all the time. If y'all knew my history, you would not be sitting here listening to me right now. And I've found that there is no such thing as a perfect family, leader, or person. And everybody has problems. And, we, and the thing about church, though, is sometimes we come here and we want to try, to try to hide what's going on in our life. Like, well, my family's perfect and we got it all together. Well, most of the people that wrote this book right, how, right here, their family was not perfect and they didn't have it all together. And now here is David facing some serious problems within his family. He is the leader of the greatest nation. And now he's got incest in his family, murder in his family, and now complete insubordination. And his brother, or I'm sorry, his son has got him on the run. And so as he's running from Absalom, I believe he was ascending the Mount of Olives. And this is what he's writing. It's a song. Hear my cry, O God. Psalm 61. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, he's running. He's not home. From the ends of the earth, I'll call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. You've been my refuge, strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. You've heard my vows, God. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life. His years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will sing praise to your name and will fulfill my vows day after day. All right. So now we know what's going on in the life of David. David probably had no idea that these songs that he was writing were going to end up in a book that people would be reading thousands of years later, but they did. And here he is on the run. His family's after him. He's lost his kingdom. He's lost his army. He, he took about 500 men with him and fled into the wilderness to hide from his son. And he pulls out a pen and a harp and starts writing. And that's where we get this beautiful psalm. And I'm finding a theme in my life, and I think other people, that I get that, that'll, that'll be really honest with me, is that it's the toughest moments in our life that reveal the leadership potential that's inside of us. It's the toughest moments. It's the trying times. And if you look through, the, the, there's, a, there's a common thread with general managers and CEOs and people that own their own companies. There's a reason that they're in that role because they can handle really, really tough problems. And that's how they got in that role. And if you, if, if you look at how people make it, and, and it's, it's not really, I mean, you've got to learn as much as you can, and I think it's good, but there's some things that a classroom cannot teach you. There's some things that leadership principles cannot teach you. I love John Maxwell, but there's some things John Maxwell just cannot teach you, that you have to go through some trouble 
in order to grow as a leader. And, and we don't like that, and it's uncomfortable, and, and nobody in their right mind prays for seasons of chaos and disorientation. But what begins to happen is when we ask God to grow our faith and we pray for miracles, he puts us in a situation that requires one. And it's not fun. James says it like this, consider it a gift, friends, when tests and challenges, challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open, shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. What is James saying here? James is saying that a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. And that's what we're in the world of. We're in this world of faith. And as we walk with God, it's, I wish that it was all mountaintop experiences, but it really grows us on the inside where we really learn how to lead and we really learn how to navigate it's in the valleys. It's in the seasons of life where we don't know what's, what's coming next. And what I, you know, one thing I want, to, I want us to look at with this psalm particularly is that David had options here. David was on the run. Absalom was after him. But David was a, was a, was a pretty bad dude. <laughs> like David was a fighter. David was a warrior. You know, they used to sing psalms, songs about David, and, and that's, you know, that, that he killed tens of thousands of people, like, in a way, like, this, you didn't want to cross David. And I think at any moment, as David is fleeing from his son, he didn't have to do that. I think David had enough, I mean, it, it talks about David's mighty men in the Old Testament. Now, these guys were just trained killers. They were like the first group of special forces, and they, they were really, really incredible at what they did. They had a God-given gift to protect people. And that's what they did. And David had that gift. And the men that, that was with him had that gift. And they could have turned that thing around and went right back into Israel and taken care of Absalom and everybody with him. And his son knew that. Let me read this to you. Second Samuel. You know your father. This is, a, this is Absalom getting counsel. He knew that David was going to do something. And he didn't know how to prepare. But they're talking about David. You know, they're fighters. And as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. I thought, then I got I to read that just to read that. You know, I've heard crazier than a run over dog. But, I mean, fiercer than a wild bear robbed of her. You got to be a bad dude to go rob a bear, a cub from a bear, all right? Like, the, that's what these guys did. One of them, his name was Beniah. He just jumped down in a pit on a snowy day and decided to take out a lion. They just, that's what they did for fun. He didn't have to run. That's what I'm trying to tell you. He had options here, but he didn't go back, and he didn't fight. This is what he does. Psalm 61, hear my cry, God. Listen to my prayer from the ends of the earth. I'm on the run from my son. I'm calling to you as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Why was David a great leader? Because he didn't trust in himself when things got chaotic. I want you to listen to it. Listen to his words. Listen to how he's writing here. He could have got a plan. He could have got his counsel together. He could have got his mighty men and said, all right, we're going in through the side gate. We're going to go up. You take out Absalom. I'll take out this. Like, that's not what we hear in this psalm. We hear a, a, a person pouring their heart out before God and asking God for his perspective. 
And I think that's where the rubber meets the road. How, how do I lead my life well? How do I lead my family well? How, how do I lead the organization that I'm, that I'm a part of well? How, how do I do that? This is, this is what God said about, about David in the book of Acts. After removing Saul, he raised up David. He testified concerning him. I found a good person here, a man after my heart. Why was he after my own heart? Because he'll do everything I want him to do. That's the bottom line. It's not what your friends think you should do. It's not what you're, you know, like you're going to get all this counsel. You're going to get all these people that will give you their opinion and, and good wisdom. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what we'll give an account for when we stand before God is what did I do with what you told me? And here in this psalm, as David is literally running from his son and he's ascending a hill, the Mount of Olives, he's writing, not God, take care of Absalom. Please just, just, just put some sense in him. Like he's not complaining about Absalom. He's not grumbling about his situation. He's praying and asking God to take him higher so he can get a better perspective. And there's some things in life that God will not take us out of and we cannot change. But we can ask him for his perspective and instead of asking why, we can ask what. God, what are you trying to teach me here? What are you trying to show me here? Why? why I, I, I could ask, you can die in the why. You can ask why all day long. Why did they leave? Why is my son turned against me? Why is this going on? I mean, that's a pretty common you know, language in my life. I do that a lot. <laughs> but eventually, it's got to lead to the point of, okay, Lord, I can't change what's going on. And if I do try to change it, I'm going to make it worse so lead me to a higher place where I can see what you're doing. Give me some perspective and help me understand why am I walking through this situation and, and what is it you're trying to teach me here? This was a habit and a pattern in the life of David. Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. This isn't the first time David went to the rock. Psalm 27, verse 5, in the day of trouble, he's going to keep me safe. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me upon a rock. Psalm 28, to you, Lord, I call. You're my rock. Don't turn a deaf ear to me. Psalm 31, since you're my rock and my fortress, you see in the pattern. Psalm 40, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the muck and mire. He set my feet upon a So he's not asking for a fix. He's not asking for the problem to go away. He's asking for perspective. He's having a conversation with God. And I think if, if we can define prayer, what is prayer? Prayer is answering speech. Prayer is replying to God about what is going on around you. Prayer is not how we try to manipulate the world to bend it the way that we want it. Prayer is me pouring out my heart to God when I'm going through a season of disorientation and I don't quite know what to do. It's answering speech. It's the second word. The first word is what's happening around me in my life. And then we have a choice. And I know that the church has, has kind of put prayer in a box and you got to pray here and you got to pray there and light a candle when you pray. Uh, however you want to pray, do it. But I tend to be the person that when I get into trouble is when I pray the best. 
It was when I'm in trouble. Like when I, when I don't know what to do and I'm facing a storm. I mean, it's somehow that's when I tend to kick in. You know, I've heard, I've heard a, a, a person tell me there's no atheists in foxholes. You get into trouble, you'll pray. I mean, you get in enough trouble, you're going to pray. You're going to talk to somebody at some point and, and start crying out to God. This is so essential in our life as Christians. It's how we heal. It's how we make it through seasons of, of life that are confusing and chaotic. Not jumping straight to, well, God, if this happened, I would be better. Or if this, can you fix this? It's, it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. I feel like you're a million miles away from me right now. It's honest, open, raw speech to God. And when we begin to do that in our life, when we hit obstacles, we face things we don't know how to face, something changes. And we have a pattern, and we see it all throughout the book of Psalms. This is just the first one. But the principle is this, where I go when I'm in trouble determines what's going to lead me. Where you go when you're in trouble will determine who's going to lead you. And I can look back over my life as a kid and the people that I went to when I was in trouble as a kid led me in the wrong direction. You got the choice. And it's where we turn when we're in trouble, when we're in pain, when we're facing these seasons of of chaos and we don't know what to do. And I think God, I've heard it said this way and I think it's the best way to say it. That when we hit trouble, the Christian's response, rather than, man, I hope dad doesn't find out about this, should be, I got to get to dad and ask him about this. That we can be driven or we can be led. And I think when storms pop up in our life, and you may not be in a storm right now, so just salt this one down, but I can promise you one's going to, it's going to happen. And storms can drive us away from God and away from our faith and get us bitter and, and we start striving and we try to, we go to ourselves and try to figure things out. We go in, internal and, and we use like, you'll, you'll hear I, 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 I got to get myself out of this. I got to figure this out. I, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. But what we should be doing is reflecting that and saying, okay, Lord, lead me. I don't really have a plan for this. And Webster defines leading, I loved it, by taking somebody by the hand. <laughs> that when our hearts are overwhelmed and we may find ourselves in a, in a season of disorientation and don't really know what to do next and, or we, we lost someone who was close to us that helped us orient the world and navigate, God's saying, I want you to come to me. And that's what David shows us. But we see this over and over and over in Scripture. Isaiah 28. I want to read this to you. This rock shows up everywhere in the Bible. Isaiah, this is after David wrote his word, says, The Lord God says, I've, I've put a, in Jerusalem a stone, great worth to build upon, a tested stone. Anyone who puts his trust in him will not be afraid of tomorrow. 
that there's this rock in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. They were running around in the wilderness, right? Chaos. They came out of Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to survive. It says this rock followed them around. And water gushed out of the rock. Well, 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us who that rock was. And then Matthew, Jesus asks his buddy Peter a question. He says, who do men say that I am? And Peter, who's honest and bold, he says, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And without hesitation, Peter said, well, you're, 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 you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replies back, well, well said, Peter, upon this rock, I will build you. I will build my church. I will build your life, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so where is this rock, and how do we get to this rock? I read one old sermon about it was in this little sea community, and they had this big rock cliff, and, and boats would get shipwrecked a lot. It, they would be driven into this kind of, it, almost like the, the pass. And so they, it would be driven into this rock cliff. And so the community came and chiseled out steps on the side of this cliff so that people that ran into the rocks could, could get up on the cliff and be safe. But I don't, I don't think that was the rock. Is it a place? I know David was going up the Mount of Olives as he's writing this, lead me to the rock. Moses was hidden in a rock. Like there's all these instances of rocks. And, 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 and so I, I don't think it was a place. I don't think that it's a, a hillside. I think those were all symbolic of one person. That when we hit turbulence in our life and we find ourselves in seasons with more questions than answers, we can go to him. And I want you to bow your head just for a moment. Lord, we just thank you that you are our rock and solid foundation. Jesus, we thank you that there's nowhere on this planet that we can go where we don't have access to you. David was on the run. The children of Israel were wandering around in, in a new place in the wilderness and everything had changed for them. Peter would just left his job and didn't know what the future was going to look like, but they all trusted in a rock, in you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would help us today to trust you. That when things are good, that we can trust you. When things are bad, that we can trust you. And, Lord, bend our hearts towards trust. Lord, make us, make us a, 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 a people that when we do find ourselves in, in situations that we don't know what to do, we don't freak out. We don't strive to try to fix it. But with quiet and consistent trust, we walk hand in hand with you. Help us, Lord, to be people that build our lives on a rock. A, a firm foundation. Just keep your head bowed and eyes closed. If you're here and you, you just 
I want you just to identify if you say, I'm, I'm, I am, feel like I'm right in the middle of a season of this orientation. I, I, I'm right there. I'm, my life is a little bit chaotic right now. And Just slip your hand up. I see your hand. Thank you. Just slip it up. I want to just pray for you. Something happens in our heart when we lift our hands. I believe that. It signals heaven. Thank you. Thank you. God, I just pray for every hand that went up right there. Lord, I pray for the seasons to change in their life. Lord, I, I pray that, that as, they, as they navigate through this uncertainty, whatever they're facing right now, that they would find you even in the wilderness. And they would find you even in these seasons of, of disorientation and when things just don't go our way. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would lift us up, give us your perspective, help us to see what heaven sees this morning. That good is coming. That resurrection is around the corner. And that, God, you've always got a plan. Even when we can't trace you, we can trust you. And we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.